How's it going, everybody, and welcome to episode number 39 of Master My Garden Podcast. Now, the last couple of episodes have been on fruit, and we're switching to vegetables this week, so we're continuing the theme for the last couple of weeks of edible crops, and we get a lot of questions on both fruit and veg, and so this week's episode is all about vegetables, and it's with Klaus Leitenberger, and Klaus has been growing vegetables in Ireland for 35 years, so he's a vast level of experience in sort of all vegetables. Uh, he grows from an organic perspective, so he previously worked at the Organic Centre in Roscommon, has done some work in Lissadell House in the gardens there, and has produced a number of books on growing vegetables in Ireland, uh, growing fruit and veg in polytunnels, and all that sort of thing. So he's a vast amount of experience. He gives talks, runs courses, and we just wanted to tap into that a little bit today. Uh, his company, Green Vegetable Seeds, supplies uh, seeds and also other resources there at the courses and so on and as I say he's a huge amount of experience that we that we want to tap into I have some listeners questions that we'll come to at the end but firstly Klaus you're very very welcome to Master My Garden podcast. Well thank you so much for inviting me I'm, I'm delighted to to talk to you and to your listeners and um, it, it's amazing how much interest vegetable gardening has got in the last year, even just with um, seed companies selling out quickly of seeds. Partly people were worried about food security. Others just needed to have something to do during lockdown. And what nicer thing you, you could do with with your time. And maybe maybe it all works out to a better way, because I think we, we've kind of lost a little bit our touch with nature. We kind of live a separate life as human beings and, and having a garden and growing your own food and harvesting it and cooking it for your family must be one of the most uh, amazing things that, that somebody could do. Yeah, you've, you've kind of touched on a couple of points there. Obviously, COVID has, has forced some people into this and has probably given others more time to do what they were already doing. And... A theme that has come up over the last few weeks, funnily enough, is just what you've said there, that uh, people had maybe lost touch a little bit with with nature and, and uh, you know, growing and the land and all that sort of thing. And this pandemic that we're going through has sort of brought people back to that a little bit. And I had Niall Hatch from Birdwatch Ireland on a couple of weeks ago, and he said that they had got quite a, quite a lot of um, messages from people saying that there's seems to be a lot more birds in the garden and you know birdwatch ireland's stance on it was that there isn't more birds it's just that people are actually starting to notice them now uh, because because they're at home and because life has slowed down a little bit so i suppose yeah there there has to be some good to come out of it and that would be one part of it It definitely is is one of the most important parts i i would agree because we can't really live a life separate from nature and i think more and more people become aware that that we are part of nature. We can't be separate. We, and, and it's the only way of, of getting closer is actually to be out, you know, to, to take time and be in nature, to spend time in a forest or, or weed your garden. And it's the only true part of, of us, really. At the end of the day, what, what we need is food and air and water, isn't it? Yeah. And and we had spoke before we started recording about, uh, you know, something that we were going to we were going to bring up during the episode. And that was how gardeners and I wasn't going to bring it up until later, but it kind of seems like a nice segue to come into it. Um, Gardeners, I suppose, feel 
And people generally feel a little bit powerless sometimes in the whole climate change fight. And, you know, in a small garden, there is things that people can do to sort of help or do their, do a small bit there. And I know you wanted to talk about that a little bit. So it seems like a good way, as I say, to a good way to lead into it now. So maybe maybe we'll talk a little bit about that to start with. Yeah, yeah. And I might, I'm, I'm in danger of uh, being very confrontational there. Um, but I, I, I need to give out a little bit. I, I think our environmental movement or the whole environmental movement worldwide has has gone down a little bit the wrong track. It's it's all about carbon. Everything, the deep, big enemy is carbon. But carbon is actually a very important raw material, a very important nutrient. We have too much carbon in the atmosphere, but it's a very dangerous way of, of, of focusing just on one thing. And I, I'm a strong believer that we should focus on, on the environment as a whole and the carbon problem would sort itself. So for a gardener, especially it's very important, but for all farmers that are there as well, carbon is in the soil. The soil it has the biggest carbon sink. There's more carbon sequestered in soil than there is in the atmosphere and in all the plants on Earth times two. That's that's the carbon in the soil. But we have yeah. taken that carbon out of the soil and put it into the atmosphere. And now I need mm-hmm. a, my, my second little rant, which is in relation to that. Our soils have become depleted over the last 50, 60 years due to industrial farming systems. We've lost as a human species or on Earth 25%, a quarter of the land area that was available to us for farming. That's become degraded and no longer usable for humans. Every acre loses three tons of topsoil per year. It's a scary thing. The United Nations warned us that we have only about 60 years of harvest left before the soils completely collapse. The reason for that is industrial farming, monocultures and inputs of artificial fertilizers and not putting back compost or composted manure or multi-species cropping, etc., etc. So I have a very simple solution for climate change, and it's just to make our soils more fertile. Put the carbon back into the soil and that's taking it out of the atmosphere. We'll have longer better, healthier crops, and we'll have less um, carbon in the atmosphere. It's a yeah, solution, really, isn't it? And and the carbon in the soil is can be measured by the organic matter content. So many of your gardeners would know about it. Soils contain mm-hmm. organic matter. Now, an average soil would have maybe an organic matter content of 5%. A very good soil, you know, like in the walled garden in Lissadell, we probably had 9%. But mm-hmm. the arable fields in southeast of Ireland, which grew barley or oats or wheat every single year with no input, they've become dead. Their organic matter content went probably from 7% down to 2%. Now, where is that up in the atmosphere? So we urgently, very, very urgently need to change this practice and stop that monoculture yeah, and, and, and continuous cropping of one crop and take the carbon back into the soil where it belongs yeah actually i had um i'm not sure if you know him but dr brian murphy from enrich uh-huh. environmental um and that's that's what they do is organic organic compost yeah, very good compost and, and, yeah yeah and he spoke at length about about um you know compost sequestering carbon into the soil brilliant and, brilliant so 
the more people know about it and, and do it better isn't it yeah so that's your tip for gardeners really is is to try and increase the organic matter in your soil yeah and you can do that through compost manure application collecting leaf mold you know anything bulky like that and also yeah. through different multi-species cropping you know companion plant or companion planting intercropping growing various crops or in a farm instead of just having rye grass having 10 different species of grass and herbs and flowers growing and yeah. so that helps yeah um we i suppose we're we started off a little bit off topic but that's good because <laughs> it, it's a it's a really important point so yeah and it's good to it's good to have it at the start um I suppose we have a, quite a bit to go through, and you've been growing vegetables in Ireland for, for 35 years, you said. And well, in, in general, no, I, I quite came to Ireland in 99, and the organic centre, sorry, John, was in Rosinver, which is in Leitrim. I think the Leitrim. Oh, Leitrim, sorry. Yeah, I said, I I said Roscommon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, always, I always felt it was Roscommon, I don't know why, so sorry about that, yeah. Um, but you've been growing vegetables for, for a long time in Ireland, and I suppose it's a broad enough topic so it's hard to give your top tips but what would you know sorry your top tips for people who want to start growing their own veg and you know what's what's the best way to to approach it yeah yeah so first i i was in southeast of england in gloucestershire i had a market garden there before i came over it was a biodynamic market garden and uh, i did all my training and apprenticeship and everything over there and studied so Coming over here, all the things that I learned didn't really, not all, but many of the things that I learned didn't really work in Ireland. And one was the sowing dates. You know, you have sowing dates in your mind. You should sow your carrots or your beans or your, your plant out your crochets at this time. Nothing yeah. worked here. So I, after two or three years of just failures, I decided just sow or plant later. But yeah. That must be the biggest tip. Uh, I can give you, especially if you're in the west of the, of Ireland or you know maybe maybe the southeast of of Ireland, it's it's different. But most people that are in the west or or northwest sow later, plant later, because everything in May wants to grow really really fast. But if you try and attempt to grow something earlier, it, it fails. So parsnips are a great example. They tell you to sow parsnips in February. You get zero percent chance of survival. Sow yeah. them in March, 20% of germination. April, early April maybe goes up to 40%. But sow them late April, early May. You grow, everything germinates. They grow quickly. They get less of the canker. So delay sowing is, is, is a big key. And even I, was, I, I do some garden consultancy in different places. So setting up market gardens. I was in, um, in a, I, there's one pl a lovely place, a walled garden in Kilkenny called Kilfane House. Okay. Uh, I work, and they promised me they never get frost in Kilkenny ever. <laughs> <laughs> so we we planted, uh, I think, 150 pumpkins and different squashes, dozens of varieties out. Before I would, I would never plant them out before June, yeah. anywhere, and we planted them out in the third week of May, and we got that frost. And yeah. it, killed, it killed everybody's potatoes as well, or, or knocked them back, didn't it? Yeah, that was. Uh, well, I'm not far from Kilkenny actually here, and the, the, there was a massive frost three nights or two nights, yeah, 10th, yeah. 12th, around there of May. All died. And Every single one was 
frozen. <laughs> yeah, I even saw like beach hedges here with with a lot of new growth on it, and that was yeah. burnt off. And and it took the even beach, it like which is obviously very hardy. It took a long time for it to get going again after yeah. that. It really knocked everything back a lot. Oh yeah, so yeah. Like all the potatoes, they were nicely up, maybe. 10 15 centimeters tall they were all knocked back completely yeah and but they came back they came back after three weeks but it, it knocked them back three weeks of, of growth so yeah cold, and that's so a trend they, over the last mm-hmm. few years like i've seen it here quite a bit where, where where we're getting over the last four or five years we're getting this quite warm spell through february and, and sometimes through early march um, like almost unseasonal type temperatures yeah, and then yeah. we're getting a bit of a change and may we've got a lot of late frosts recently so it yeah. is it's something that's there regularly so something that makes sense what you're saying you can be aware of you know and, and do follow my advice of sowing or, or planting out a little bit later the other thing yeah. you know, i always notice actually not this year uh, but every other year in ireland towards the end of the may you get three days of, of storms and it often coincided with me planting out stuff and they all got destroyed with the storms. So w- wait for the three days of storms which come at the end of May and then plant out your, your tender crops like pumpkin, pumpkins or crochets. Or if you want to be totally foolproof, you can put a cloche over it. That's actually what I nearly d- try and do from now on over the last few years. You know, a, a cloche with a yeah. netting on it. Bionet mm-hmm. is is... One of the best um, friends inventions for gardeners, it's the carrot root fly netting. It's, yeah. It looks like a lace curtain with fine little nets on it, and it protects crops as you plant them out. So all you need to do is put hoops of rigid hose pipe over it, drape that netting over it, leave it for a week or so. That hardens the plants up a little bit. The air can go through, the water can go through, but it stops that excessive wind speed. Yeah, and it stops. It stops if you get real heavy rain or hail as well, damaging, yeah, it, damaging it, tender crops. Definitely, it, it disperses the rain a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, there's a couple of good tips now. Um, so you're you're growing organically, and mm-hmm. obviously there's huge benefits in that, um, and there's probably challenges as well. So maybe tell us a little bit about the the benefits and the challenges of of growing organically. Yeah, organic growing is a hundred times easier than conventional normal growing because you trust nature a little bit what what you try and do is in is to encourage an ecosystem a balanced garden and um the first two years if you have used sprays and and pesticides your ecosystem has become disrupted you probably don't have enough beneficial creatures or or creatures that would eat the pests so it, it might take a couple of years but you do need to trust a little bit and you need to accept a certain amount of pests because the ladybirds are only there if they have food. And what is their food? It's aphids. So yeah. small quantity. And, and don't panic. I often see that there's um, a gardener do some work within Cork. And there's always black fly on broad beans, isn't it, in July? So yeah. the first, he panicked and said, what can I do? Can I spray something? I said, no. The next week, um, it was a lot more like... And he, he panicked more and he was nearly going to spray something. I said, no, don't. The third week, a week later, there were the first ladybirds. Right. And then the fourth week, the aphids were gone. Okay, so you just, so, you, you're, 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 you're not just waiting for something to come in and swatting it away quickly. You're, you're, you're given that's it. That's the it. natural predators a chance to come in and do their thing over, over, over a couple of weeks. 
Exactly. Yeah, because if you if we would have sprayed after two weeks, we would have killed maybe some ladybird pupae or little ladybirds, and aphids have a much much quicker um, propagate. They they propagate much quicker than ladybirds. Yeah, uh, the benefits then of of growing organically are obviously huge in terms of well, obviously in terms of the environment, in terms of the the mineral and vitamin content of the of the of the produce yeah yeah i mean there's many people still saying that organic food isn't better for your for you than conventional food and that's based often around mineral nutrient content and and it's misleading there's so much um, scientific evidence there and it's not conclusive you know some mm-hmm. study say yes some say no so i i don't think we should necessarily focus on that what what is clear is that there's more antioxidants in organic food and the antioxidants are cancer fighting uh, properties in food mm-hmm. higher anthocyanin content etc or lycopene content that's the only proven one but not necessarily minerals which okay. but often they are but yeah. for me the big thing is pesticide residues in food and i i don't care what they tell us um how safe they are but if they are systemic, if they go into the system of a plant, they go into the system of us. The the rate of autism in the 1970s, we had one in three and a half thousand people had autism. Then now it's one in 35. In every classroom, there's somebody suffering with autism or having this, this uh, illness. And they reckon in 10, 15 years, it will be one in three people having wow. autism. You know, and, and that goes on with, I could list a whole range of disease yeah. illnesses, mo- mostly motor neuron and, and attention deficit thing, because a lot of pesticides are affecting the nervous system of, of um, insects, isn't it? They're disrupting the nerve system and, mm-hmm. and that's the way they, they kill. So I, I, I don't care how much they, they will still tell us. Every pesticide that was permitted 30 years ago is now banned. Yeah. And I believe that everyone that is going to, in 30 years, the ones that we have is banned. The glyphosate, of course, is at the forefront at the moment. Yeah, with, you know, the most topical one. So I, I, I think, um, and, and there's an interesting um, database. So if you Google the in, in on the internet, the clean 15 and the dirty dozen. The dirty dozen and the clean 15. That's a list of vegetables and fruits that have the highest pesticide residues in them. Right. So the clean 15 are the ones you can eat even conventionally. That's an avocado with a hard skin, you know, or yeah. bananas where you peel off the skin. While the, the dirty dozen are actually some of the healthiest vegetables and fruits. Carrots yeah. and apples are in that list. Wow. Yeah. Uh, challenges, challenges then for for growing organically. Um, what what would you find to be the the biggest challenges that that you come across? Yeah, I I don't. If if I've grown so long, you know, it's 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 I'm not challenged anymore because yeah. I'm accepting failure. That's the key thing, and and I, I that's another really good tip. Every single year, some crop will fail, no doubt. Like. I've grown for so long and I've never had one year where every crop did extremely well. And then once, once you think you've nailed growing celery perfectly, then something else fails <laughs> the next year. 
It's yeah. don't be, you can't be a perfectionist growing stuff. If you get half of them right as a beginner and good crops, perfect. If you yeah. get 80% right in any given year, it's fine. So challenges. Um, you, so it's about experience then. And, and like I suppose, naturally, if you, if, if you said to somebody, what would be a challenge grown organically, they would say, you know, the fact that you can't combat a pest. But what you've just said, and, and going back to your, your uh, customer in Cork, it's about adapting, learning, and trusting that you know the the, the system will work and okay. nature will will help you. Just yeah, it's yeah. just you need to be a little bit patient yeah. and maybe take away the mentality of okay, here's something now. Let's swat it away as quickly as we can. And, Absolutely, and that's that's the key. And and the most important was say if I have a problem, if I get a disease rather than a pest or so, or 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 either. The first question I'll ask is, is my soil good enough? Because the soil is the home of the plants. We put them there. They can't move away like animals or people. They're stuck there. So generally, if a plant suffers, it's a reaction to its home environment, which is the soil. So as an organic gardener, we have to take extra care of creating a healthy living soil with billions of microorganisms. We're not the germ warfare guys. We we want to encourage yeah. the diversity. The more, the better, and the less individual problems you'll get. And taking crops away, and that's one of the difference between flower gardening and vegetable gardening. We take we take produce away, obviously, to eat it. So we need to add more back to the soil, mm-hmm. more than a flower gardener where the flowers stay there and we're not harvesting you know, tons of potatoes and carrots and onions. So yeah. a good compost, a, a good gardener, a good vegetable gardener needs to be a good compost maker as well. Yeah, yeah adding back in uh, what you're taking back out. Yeah, that's, yeah, it, it makes sense. As I suppose, as a, again, it's a broad topic, but if we talk maybe about some of the most popular types of veg that people grow, grow um, what were your recommended varieties here? So if we if we talk about potatoes, maybe and you know some of the main ones that people that people grow. Yeah, yeah, potatoes. Um, everybody has to start with potatoes, really, isn't it? And um, the the there's one potato variety which is very very blight resistant, the most blight resistant. And it's a Hungarian variety called Sarpo Mira S A R P O. And an M I R A. Now I'm German by by yeah. birth, and I like different potatoes. Uh, Irish people tend not to like sarpomira as much. Yeah, that's pity. what I was going to say to you. It's actually pity. Uh, just just get used to it, I think, because it's so good <laughs> and it, it yields. The yield is fantastic. And if you like a flowery potato, store it. And apparently, after January, um, it'll it'll turn a bit more flowery. Okay, yeah, because that would that would be, I I've tasted sarpomira and being Irish and being used to the you, have the, you know the, yeah, the nice yeah. records and so on, I I wouldn't like the taste of it, um yeah, but I, I, I suppose a, there is other options in terms of blight resistance as well that actually taste quite good, and I'm thinking here Satanta is maybe not Satanta as blight is an resistant. Irish bread potato, which is a lovely potato, um, yeah, it it lost. It, it, problem is with disease resistance that can be lost itself and i think satanta has lost it a little bit they're, um, they're more prone to blight now than they used to be 
mm-hmm. about seven, eight years ago when, when I grew them there. Yeah. But it's a lovely potato. Yeah, it's very nice, yeah. Um, mm. oh, any any other varieties that you'd be, you'd be looking out for? Obviously, yeah, there, Earlys more, and Salads, um, there's no issue with. Well, the Earlys are brilliant anyway. And Orla, another Irish bread potato, is, is probably one of the best of, of them yeah. all. I also love the Red Duke of York, which is a fabulous flavoured. Uh, you'd love that now, John. Yeah, I like that one, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's gorgeous and it looks brilliant as well. There's another Dutch uh, blight resistant one you should try, Carolus, spelled with a C A R O L U S. Yeah, I've seen that on list, but I've never actually grown mm-hmm. or no, tasted it's it. Very no. good one. I'm actually yeah. breeding potatoes at the moment, or for the last seven years. Can okay. I explain briefly how, how yeah, that absolutely, goes? Yeah, absolutely. Doesn't it's not scientific at all. I'm not a I'm not a scientist. But what I did about seven years ago in Bundoran, I also worked for the in community gardens, Clonamara in Bundoran. I helped them out. It's a lovely setting. If anybody is in Bundoran and Donegal, sometime you should pop in. They had 20 different varieties of potatoes in one okay. square, only about five tubers of each variety. And then we let them cross pollinate. So okay. potato flowers. And after the flower, when, the fl- when they all flower, they cross pollinate. And then the fruit appears on top of the potato after the flower. Yeah? yeah, most people would have seen it, but not all varieties do it. So maybe not everybody has seen it. So little tomato like fruits on top of the yeah. potatoes. In there are the seeds, the true seeds, and they're tiny. They're the size of a celery seed or like dust nearly. Yeah. So I let them all cross pollinate. I collected all these little fruits. And then the following year, I sowed the seeds, about 700 seedlings. Each seedling is a new variety. Can you imagine? Oh. Each each one of the seeds is a new variety. So the 700 was whittled down to to 70 the next year and then to 20. And now we have three, which I think are really good. Slug resi- and I selected for slug resistance. That's oh. one of the problems I often half in potatoes and most people in the west of Ireland in a wet summer we get slugs eating into the potato and hollowing them out from inside yeah so I, I selected varieties that had less so but it's it's easy isn't it grow a whole range and then keep limit chucking out the bad ones and yeah so you're down them. you're you're down to three now in this down to three and they're lovely shaped and they're 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 white with pink eyes or pink blotches not just eyes pink blotches over them and what's the long-term intention? Is it to to become bring bring them to market, or is it just for your own? Yeah, I'm not a businessman, John. So, and, and yeah, I'm not too good with too much paperwork and legislation <laughs> and bureaucracy. So, I probably illegally sell them to a few <laughs> friends or give them to a few friends. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's brilliant. It's interesting, anyway, for sure. And uh, I'll definitely yeah. name them. I'll definitely name them, and. Um, yeah yeah looking forward to seeing that um as we move on then to some of the things that we, we were going to talk about companion planting and i know we've kind of dipped into it a little bit there but companion planting is something that people know about but they don't have that much i suppose what would you call it working experience of it and i'd be a bit the same myself so obviously i'm familiar with the concept but in terms of what what works with what Maybe you could just tell us some of the of the main ones and the best ones, most successful ones. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm again contradictory there. I I'm totally believing in 
intercropping, companion planting, growing loads of different crops together. Um, but all the stuff that's nearly all the stuff that's written and repeated in guard, in magazines or books is lies. Okay, so growing carrots and onions next to each other, it's lovely. Do it, but don't expect that it'll keep the carrot root fly away. I've tried it. I've built a fortress of carrots around on a few uh, a fortress of onions around a few carrots, and they still got carrot root fly. These yeah. don't work, you know. Don't don't feel like one loves the other and or hates the other and and all that. But still, I think for the soil and for for general things, it's the more diverse you're cropping, the better. So you don't need to have just one bed of one vegetable. You can have various different crops in it. Yeah. And a good way of intercropping is if you if you look out for some quick maturing crops to some yeah. that you can fill into gaps. So yeah. and, and that, sorry, that's another big beginner's mistake. Um, I mentioned one earlier, cramming planting things too close together. I, mm-hmm. I up in the allotments in Pandoran, everybody makes that mistake all the time. So you have Brussels sprouts and you sow a whole packet of Brussels sprout seeds. You might have 50 Brussels sprout plants and you have one bed ready and plant them and you get absolutely nothing out of it except a yeah. few leaves. So Brussels sprouts, you space about three feet apart, nearly a meter apart, which is massive. Yeah. And you have the tiny little plants that you plant and you don't believe me that it's true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's how it is. Otherwise, you won't get a good crop. But you have well, all back- that space in the middle, which you can fill in with quick maturing crops like annual spinach, lettuce, salad rocket, radishes, mini turnips, uh, coriander, dill, you know, there's a whole list of plants. So you fill up the whole bed and you harvest them out when they're ready. And when the Brussels sprouts need that space, they get it. Yeah. Do you know that? Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a good tip. And I actually do a little bit of it here myself uh, with, with the slower brassicas, Brussels sprouts and, and so on. You plant yeah anything, rockets, uh, lettuce, anything that's quick growing underneath exactly but don't compromise with the spacing of of the real crop yeah of the main crop yeah you need otherwise give it the space otherwise companion planting just choose vegetables that that have similar growth rates that one doesn't outcompete the other so beetroot parsnips onions you know all these they they kind of can be combined nicely yeah um we're, we're we're I suppose we're after talking for quite a bit there and I have a few listeners questions and these will, I suppose, cover off a good few other points that, that are there. And we had a question from Bill Murphy uh, in relation to beetroot and he had great success four years ago, but since then has had nothing only leafy crops and he's wondering what it is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good complaint, really, in one way, because your soil is probably too fertile. I guess that you put uh, on too much manure or too much nitrogen in some sort of shape. Um, it's, it's an important lesson to learn. For It's a good tip now for everybody in relation to that. If your vegetables grow too much into leaf and not into root, the ratio between nitrogen and phosphorus is too high. So you have too much nitrogen, too much fertility added. Maybe you added chicken manure pellets as well, et cetera, et cetera. Then things go into leaf. 
I had often sometimes you have potatoes and the stalks are like a meter tall, but when you actually dig them, they are quite small tubers in it. Same with beetroot. I one year I had the tiniest little beetroot leaves, but the beetroot themselves were really, really big. So it's the ratio between nitrogen and phosphorus. So stop feeding. Maybe for next year's beetroot patch, don't put any compost, any manure down, and then the root will actually go and develop and the leaves may stay smaller. Yeah, so just just too much nitrogen and, and, too and much, leafy too growth. Much feeding. I, I, I guess it was maybe some chicken manure pellets or something, and that dries the nitrogen up quickly. Yeah. The leaves are, on, as another thing though, the leaves would be edible as well. You can eat them just like spinach. Yeah, and they're lovely actually. Mm. Yeah, um, we had a question then from Mike Enright. The organic way of dealing with leather jackets and wireworms. Now, I guess there's no answer here, uh, or or no no satisfactory answer here because they are a big problem, aren't they? They they would be when you start off with yeah. So the first year you you dig your soil probably and you'd find as many as you can. They do go become less and less though every year. That's the okay. one good thing. So the, the the problem, they're grassland pests, really. And uh, after two, three years, they should be less. Now, a lot of people go for the no-dig system, which I do as well sometimes, but there could be more of a build-up of leather jackets in that system. Okay. Well, actually, that, that's a question further down, so we might we might actually lead on with that now. Um, someone's asking about the no-dig method, the, the sort of pros and cons, and, and your general opinion on that method. Yeah, yeah, definitely a very good system, and I would do more and more of it, but I'm never going to be, I'm a hybrid digger and no digger. First of all, some advantages of digging is if you have a weedy bed, you can just dig over the bed and, yeah. you know, um, also to find leather jackets and wireworm, you can, when you dig over, you can see it. Sometimes your soil is compacted and I feel we do need to loosen it a bit. So uh, for, I've been a digger all my life, but I do more and more no digging, more and more. Like probably I, I only dig maybe a third of the area. If yeah. you don't walk on a bed and add compost alone, that that would be quite sufficient. And I have a very easy test. If, if your bed is weed free, for example, and you can take a digging fork and you with your hand push it in all the way your soil does not need to be dug. If you take yeah. your, your fork in and it only goes in a few inches, it's probably compacted and you might need to loosen it a bit. But you don't need to dig it over fully. What you can do then is like, it's called bio-forking. You stick the fork in, lever it back 45 degrees, pull it out again. So instead of inserting it, you just loosen the compacted yeah. level. But I think for, for somebody starting with a, with a no-dig method, compost an organic matter is vital in that system yeah. because it'll it'll loosen up the structure anyway. But you you won't be able to do do no dig without using compost and organic matter on on your on exactly. your areas. Like the, the the common or the popular no dig system now with Charles Dowding's method, it would be to use your lawn, your grass, and then you put cardboard over it, and then you have a few inches of really really good compost. And the enriched compost would come in handy there because no gardener would generate enough good compost. So that's a really easy way. It is a costly way, though, you know, because yeah. you you actually bypass your own soil in, in one way. Mm -hmm. 
but it's but I suppose as a starting point it's it's probably the way to go all right it's a good good system definitely yeah, yeah. um this question i kind of vaguely know the answer to it anyway um i had pat fitzgerald on an episode very early on and he's breeding sweet potatoes so the question was from one run wise can sweet potatoes be grown in ireland and yeah you had pat on as well brilliant yeah that is so, amazing yeah he's doing incredible work and yeah, yeah. obviously he's they're doing a lot of trial work on sweet potato and okas and yakon and other varieties yakon, and, yeah. and the sweet potato the sweet potato will work in ireland under cover and uh, not it so much work quite well in in a, in a polytunnel yeah i i don't think it'll do too well outdoors maybe in no, some... it, pat's kind of general idea was that no it won't work outside at all here um you'd have to be you'd have to be very lucky so yeah yeah so, i yeah, had the, in bundoran say i hadn't growing two years pat's varieties actually one year i had total failure and i got very cross with pat <laughs> no i didn't <laughs> but he he said be mean to it did he tell you that as well maybe i looked too, uh, after it too much fed it too much etc etc so it looked amazing growing into leaf the second year i kind of half neglected it a little bit and i had okay. a bumper yield of, of sweet potatoes then which was brilliant yeah very good and his varieties he's i know he's working on it and they will start to become more available over the next couple of years so people should start to see them coming through um, yeah yeah the Next question, and I again, I think I know the answer to this one. We from Emma McMullen. She had pumpkins which were rotting on the plant, and this is in the last month. But as we said before we started recording, it has been quite wet since July. Mm. We've had also some uh, hail showers and very very heavy rain, and I suspect that it's probably something to do with that. That there's getting I, damaged, I would agree, yeah. yeah, and then a lot of moisture as well. Yeah, definitely. They they just love the hot summer as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another question in relation to courgettes from Hermione uh, Winters. I might have that name written down wrong. But anyway, the question relates to courgettes growing in grow bags and getting lots of male flowers, but only two courgettes in total. Yeah. I'm not a fan of grow bags at all. You know, it's it's yeah. like limited I, I also, I'd never said earlier, I work as a, an organic inspector, so I inspect organic farms and okay. gardens throughout the country. So one of the requirements in organics is that it has to be grown in soil. So even if it would be an organic grow bag, you wouldn't be allowed to sell these vegetables as organic. So just, yeah. just out of interest. So I, I think it's just limited. If a plant is stressed, maybe it, it produces more of these male more of the male flowers yeah. yeah and courgettes would be would be a lot hungrier even than tomatoes so yeah while you might have success with a tomato it's difficult with it with it with a courgette because if you think about it there is so much leaf growth up top anyway for start so there's a, a that's exactly what it is yeah because you want probably harvest a courgette every second day from a yeah. plant it's usually so prolific one little tip for courgettes is the first fruit or the first and second fruit of every crochet in every garden in Ireland will get a little bit of rot at the end of the fruit where the flower is attached and um, it'll go right through the plants. You can see it when it's misshaped even. So my tip is every year remove the first two 
little baby fruits when they before they even form let the plant establish itself and get a little bit bigger and then it can cope with all the fruits okay that's good to remove the first two baby fruits yeah um the next question then which is the last of the of the listener questions is it's a sort of a possibly complex one that's why i've left it from to last so it's from sarah louise kiernan and it's I suppose along the lines of uh, permaculture and specifically plant gills, I guess a variation of companion planting as well. And the specific question is to grow growing asparagus and what annuals could be planted with asparagus, but that are grown more like a short lived perennial. Mm -hmm. So um, I suppose that's, that's I suppose plant gills and, and companion planting they're similar but there is you know, it's a quite a complex area but maybe specifically in rela- relation to asparagus yeah great what could now, be grown asparagus my my tip for asparagus first of all which is, leads to the other one is to grow it dry okay. I've inspected asparagus growing cork in uh, Lachine once and he he has seven large large tunnels full of asparagus and he told me he watered it in, in once about 10 years ago and never since. So even in a tunnel, they've never once been watered. They take a little bit of moisture from the ground, you know, from the side, and that's it. And I've done that in a few other places. I can't, I couldn't grow asparagus outside here in, in Leitrim. Um, it's impossible. I wouldn't even attempt it. Other places in drier areas you can, but never water even even in the tunnel try it just ignore all the watering so based on that what companions could you have with it um i would have said none because they grow quite tall and big and everything and the ones i have down in cork with in 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 that one garden they wouldn't be you know they grow so vigorous with no drop of water that that i couldn't and you want to leave the ferns to grow through the year because they make the food for the next year's shoots that come up. Yeah. But then to contradict myself now, I did see somewhere somebody growing a lot of thyme and do you know like herbs that need very little low growing yeah. herbs that need some very Mediterranean little type. Mediterranean maybe even some oregano or marjoram or something like that would mm-hmm. would do really well because it's similar conditions and similar requirement and it probably wouldn't compete too much with the asparagus. Very good. Um, we're 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 sort of getting to the end here now, and there's, I suppose you could talk forever about about vegetables. Oh, yeah. there's so <laughs> there's so many, and there's so many variations. So maybe sometime in the future we we we'll revisit it. Um, before we finish up, obviously you have a couple of books. Um, so you have vegetables for the Irish garden, which is a book specifically about. Now I haven't got my hands on a copy yet, but it's specifically in relation to growing vegetables in Ireland. You have a veg growers handbook and you have growing fruit and veg in a polytunnel or greenhouse. So you have a couple of books there, but maybe tell people where they can find you. Uh, obviously, green vegetable seeds. Yes, yeah, so in, in some good bookshops, which buy directly. All the books are self-published, so um and we deal directly with bookshops so they're in a number of bookshops throughout the country or on our website greenvegetableseeds.com um my wife also runs a small seed shop we, we've opened a, a little shop in manor hamilton in leitrim called seeds and the seeds are available online as well through your website through the website i also do a monthly newsletter if anybody's interested in in getting it um, you can scribe on our website to it. It's a 
there's no charge for it. And once a month I do some gardening tips or whatever is on my mind. It could be some rant or it could be something serious <laughs> as well. Who knows? Yeah. And I know that you run courses and obviously in-person courses have been a big challenge this year, but I'm sure at some stage they will be back as well. Yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, This year I was fully booked every single weekend. So uh, I had nice weekends off though due, due to COVID, luckily, or, or luckily, not luckily. Um, there was one weekend planned for this weekend in Renville House, which is probably my favourite place, really. It's in Connemara, and it's a whole weekend from um, Friday evening till Sunday, and it's it's really good value. It's it's um, in the most stunning place. That'll be that was cancelled, of course, and it'll yeah. it's rescheduled for the nineteenth of March next year. But it's always quickly booked out, so if anybody's interested, yeah, you, you should look out for it. Very good. And you have a couple of social channels as well. Maybe tell us where people can find you there. Oh, do I know the names though? You're on Twitter and Instagram. I'm, I'm anyway, on Twitter so. and, and Instagram, but I wouldn't know my um my details. Yeah, so people or... people look up your name uh, and Twitter and Instagram, they'll they'll find you there if anyway. You, if you come up, it's on my name. under my name, yeah. Yeah, as I said, we're <laughs> we're up to about forty five minutes uh, here now, and uh, we we could talk for hours, but because yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've covered off you've covered off everything there uh, for now. But as I say, we might sometime in the future revisit this. It's uh, super chat, uh, really good information. So thank you very much for coming on Master Again yeah. Podcast. Thank you very much, John, and I wish everybody a, a great gardening year next year. So that's been this week's episode. A huge thanks to Klaus for coming on. It was really interesting, great knowledge, great experience in gardening and, you know, some really useful tips. And the one that kind of stick, stuck with me after that was about planting every later in the year. So you get your, your packets of seed and it's it's telling you to sow out in February or March. And, you know, Klaus's kind of recommendation is to leave it for about a month after what the packet says. And, when you think about it, he's probably correct because from his experience growing in the south of England, those months of February, March were perfect for sowing seeds when soil temperatures were getting up to, you know, 12, 13 degrees, 14 degrees. But realistically in Ireland, we can, we sometimes get that, but generally speaking, we're not getting that on a consistent day in, day out uh, up until, you know, late May or early June. So by by pausing just a little bit and holding back a little bit, you know, you will you will get things to grow and you'll have a lot more success. And often you see it when you plant out a lot of vegetable seeds, so you plant them out early and then you plant out your second batch for your succession later. But by the time you get into the, the real growth, which is May and June, everything is, is kind of ready at the same time. So that early, real early period just doesn't seem to work in our in our climate, maybe because it's a little bit wetter um, and obviously we're getting these late frosts that he spoke about. But it's a very, very good tip and, and something that can be transferred into our gardens. Uh, as I say, a great episode, really enjoyed it. And to, because it's such a broad topic, we may well talk again uh, and hopefully sometime in the future we'll be able to have Klaus on. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with all your gardener friends. I really enjoyed today the fact that we had some listeners' questions. And again, if you have anything that, that you, you like, you'd like me to ask or you'd like me to cover in an episode, just shout. You can email me on info at mastermygarden.com or you find me on the social channels. So Facebook, Master My Garden page or Instagram at Master My Garden. So that's been this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, been a tough week in Ireland this week. We've had really bad weather, I suppose. And also we have moved into uh, 
what they're calling level five lockdown again but i hope everybody's staying safe i hope everybody's keeping well you know it's as i say coming into the winter time dark evenings and so on it can be tough for people but get out and about if you can it always helps and until the next time happy gardening (music) 